0: Welcome back to Cincinnati
1: Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. We really appreciate everyone for tuning in with us for another episode. Jenna, we've got a great guest on today. I'm really excited to be introducing uh, Dr. Anselino Davis. Dr. Davis is a senior scientist and policy analyst at the Bahamas National Trust. So he's a global conservationist, researcher, we're really
2: excited to have you today. Thanks for taking the time to meet, for us, meet with us while you're in Cincinnati. Thank you so much for having me. This, uh, I think this is going to be a fun and exciting conversation that we're going to have today. And I'm, I'm just really grateful to the zoo team and Project Dragonfly and the Miami University group that helped to get me up here.
0: I'm excited to have you, just for meeting you for like five minutes before we started. I can tell you're going to be a lot of fun to interview today. So (laughs) thanks for joining us. And we always start off, I I make everyone answer this really broad question. Like, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are.
2: I took the most circuitous route possible. Um, I, I come from a family that we we didn't really have the money to like put me through university or anything. So I did everything through scholarships, lots of part-time jobs, which means that I got a lot of world experience. Um, and I also got to meet a lot of different people along the way. So like I worked at the Humane Society. I was a chauffeur. Um, I've given tours, uh, Work in restaurants. Um, I vacuumed sea lion poop. Uh, For a while, I've been a dolphin trainer, and I've worked in sustainability, and I've done a lot of teaching, so I've taught at three universities. Wow. The College of the Bahamas, which is now the University of the Bahamas, um, University of Maryland Eastern Shore, uh, where I did my undergrad and master's, and Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, where I taught the ornithology lab, as well as... Um, the tropical marine ecology study abroad to my home country and I also designed and led the photography conservation and culture in the Bahamas study abroad which is uh, more of an art um, class and so just I kind of like run the gamut of like where people can like interact and do things but it's always um my other interactions advise my advise my conservation work, and then my conservation and environmental work advise all my art or other interactions as well. Dr. Davis, you've got a
1: fascinating doctor, <laughs> <which> <laughs> no, sounds like, it like sounds what? like you're a little bit of a universal man. You've done a little bit of everything, and you're so well-rounded. I am curious, though, like what do you have any specific experiences from like your childhood that really got you interested in conservation or working with wildlife?
2: Well, most definitely, I have to say thank you to my mom, and I call her mommy. So, uh, thank (laughs) you, mommy. Um, She worked at the botanical gardens when we were young. And while we were waiting for her to get off from work, we would walk from primary school around the corner. It was maybe like a mile and a half or something like that. And we would Wait inside the botanical gardens, which was really wandering through this huge garden um, and pasturing all the workers, <laughs> asking them, "Oh, what's this plant? What does that do? Um, can you eat it? Uh, can you not?" Um, and then tourists would come to the gardens, and I would then take the knowledge that I got from the the workers in the garden. I and give it to the tourists and they they'd pay me a couple of dollars sometimes and oh, so perfect so I, I i think that's where i got like my first introduction to environmental education okay. and kind of like learning and then teaching um, others who were who were joining me in the environment but running around there with my cousins and my little brother um That really, I think, grounded me in wanting to be outside as much as possible uh, from a really young age.
1: That's awesome. I'm sure those workers at the Botanical Garden would be psyched to see this little boy (laughs) that was pestering them,
2: what what he's amounted to and where he's gone. They they (laughs) are, and uh, our community is so small. um, Our country has about 400,000 people. (laughs) <laughs> so it's a really tiny community. So anytime I'm on in the newspaper or I'm on the radio or something like that, um, people like um, uh, Mr. Miller, um, I we kind of grew up with his kids uh, in primary school, and so we'd walk around the corner together, um, and like I'm still in touch with all of them, and That's awesome. yeah they'd write to me on Facebook or something or call me on the phone and say hey it was it was a great article and so proud of what you're doing and sometimes I think we can we can feel like no one's looking or no one's watching or in conservation some of the work can be really hard Mm. but then uh, I think those little calls from your godmother or your auntie or your primary school teacher uh, that really um, helps to keep me going a lot
0: that makes a lot of sense it is one of those things where it's such important work but it may not be super obvious to the world around you yeah and, no, yeah no. that's a good point it makes you feel like you're doing the right thing when people acknowledge it even if it's you know not some worldwide acknowledgement or whatever but the people that mean the most to you
2: yeah and you don't you don't feel like you're um Like sometimes it's a job, right? Mm -hmm. And you show up and you read 8 million emails (laughs) (laughs) and and you write some papers and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But then sometimes there's like someone is poaching something and it's a big like drama around it and like you're rescuing people or something like that. And then everyone sees that. But behind the scenes, we have so much work that we do. Um, in my role as the policy analyst and senior scientist at the Bahamas National Trust, I'm regularly speaking with government agencies and we're telling them how, um, monitoring works in a national park or, um, for a particular species. Mm. And the Bahamas National Trust is actually one of the oldest, well, it's the oldest conservation organization in the Bahamas, um... <coughs> But it's not a uh, it's not a government agency, and so thinking how how these things interact um it's it's very cool to be in that space and like talking to people
0: that's what I was, that. I wanted to ask you about that because like changing policies sounds like the most difficult thing to me in conservation, but probably the most important to make a real lasting difference i guess so What is it exactly you do on a daily basis? And do you have any stories you could share where you've seen, like, you've got through to somebody or a policy was changed and it, like, keeps you going?
2: Right now, our our legislation actually mandates environmental impact assessments. And in the past, a lot of developments in our country could be rubber-stamped. So the way laws are written, and it's not just in the Bahamas, it's pretty much around the world, is X activity that damages a natural resource that people rely on, that's bad. That's illegal. But if the politician or lawmaker or um, administrative person who's in charge signs off on it, then you can do it. Mm -hmm. So... So that has been the general um, case, right? But with our new EIA laws, at the very least, people have to have an environmental impact assessment or an EIA. And a lot of times they have to also have an environmental management plan or an EMP. Okay. So now, as senior scientists or just as a scientist in the Bahamas, a Bahamian scientist who has my experience, I can go into those EIAs and I can read what they have already done, what they've seen on their, um, the property that they intend to develop. And I can say, you know, that's really cool what you saw in your survey. I can say, I also have this data which shows that your survey at that time of year didn't capture the full picture. Mm. So now use this to advise your future work as well, in addition to what you already have. Sometimes they may, um, they may indicate that they saw something on their property that I can then advise them that this would be the best way to manage for that species or for that natural resource sometimes I have to say in in very specific terms that this is not a good idea for this location at this time. And it's good to have a process in our country now where they have to respond to it. So they have to acknowledge that we did get, um, that we did meet with them and we did let them know what what we saw in their report and then also that, um, that inside their report, there are Bahamians watching. That's cool.
0: So it would be like an example if I wanted to like start growing a specific crop or if I wanted to start hunting a certain animal or what are these like behaviors or things that people it want to do that, that they have to like apply for like
2: in, in the Bahamas, we have this uh, catch 22 it's like wow the bahamas is so beautiful we want to go there
0: what <laughs> so mark and i were saying before <laughs> we were
2: <in> this room. <laughs> but we want to erect a hotel so that wow. we can be there but not mm. have to experience it fully mm. or We have a curated experience. Mm. So a lot of people, what they want to do is they want to come down to some of the most pristine areas in the Bahamas. And they want to develop it in a way that they can interact with it like it's a North American mall, Mm. right? And you have to... Like ask them to like, like rein that in or yeah. you have to tell them, you know, if you, if you want to go somewhere and have an 18 course golf experience, the Bahamas might not be the place for that. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> and that's, that can be a challenge sometimes.
0: That must be so tricky yeah. because obviously tourism does so much for so many places, but also places are Popular and people want to go there because they're beautiful and like you said it's like this hard balance where tourism can be good but also it can destroy everything that makes people want to tour there
2: right and and so you have to have these real um honest discussions with people you know if you're coming to the bahamas and you want to experience the beauty of the country right you want to experience these beautiful beaches you want to experience um the abaco parrot which is a conservation um, species it's an endemic uh, species and it's limited range so you're not going to drop your development on top of the park that protects that population right you're not going to drop your development on the sand dune that maintains the beach put it back yes your guests have to walk an extra hundred feet (laughs) when they get to that beach it's going to be the beach that you saw when you first got that vision mm. in your mind, right, and if you if you change that in an unsustainable way, you're gonna have millions of issues into the future. And some people don't; uh, they don't understand that because their degrees are in business mm-hmm. or um, tourism or marketing, and so they they might not have that intimate relationship with the environment that I would have, or they haven't seen how it's failed in so many locations.
1: And you mentioned, obviously, this organization is the Bahamas National Trust. It's right. this nonprofit NGO that's there to protect the environment. Like, in what ways does it exactly go about protecting the environment? Like, are you able to
2: establish parks? Are you able to educate the public, a little bit of everything? or So the Bahamas National Trust was actually established in 1959, after the establishment of the Exuma Keys Land and Sea Park, which is the oldest land and sea park in the world. Oh, awesome. And so this is an area in the middle of the ocean where there's a bunch of little keys, little rocks, with some some plants on them. And people said, wow, that's beautiful. But someone else said, wow, that's beautiful. Let's develop it, right? And and turn it into this this Mecca for tourists, Um, but you need a management agency for that. The Bahamas National Trust is a quasi-governmental organization, so we're written into the law by an act of parliament, which gives us the authority to manage national parks in the country and the full name is the Bahamas National Trust for um, protection of places of natural and historical interest or something like that. <laughs> I'm going to get called out it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, we do protect all of these different um, locations, and there are 32 national parks in the system now wow. under our management. But... Other agencies can also get management of a national park or protected area, depending on how it's established and why it's Mm. established. People can also say, hey, you know what? I have a bunch of land, and I want to give it to the Bahamas National Trust. So we have some properties that are like that, that people have just deeded it to us or leased it to us for 100 years or something. Okay. Um, A lot of our leases are like that. Uh, The government, at some point in time, would be engaged with the protection of a new area. And they would say, you know, the Mohammed National Trust has that that capacity and um, that reputation that we can handle it. And we would be put in charge of protecting those places. But oftentimes our work is not uh, just in the park. I think the majority of our work now is education. Okay. And when I say education, I'm not just talking about going into schools. Because we have to get our politicians, ambassadors from other countries, uh, lawmakers, stakeholders, police officers, Royal Bahamas Defense Force officers, fishermen, fishermen. Hunters, we need to get them into the park so that they get this appreciation, and we're educating everybody.
0: What does that look like when you're educating them? Is it like seeking them out and having a meeting in like a boardroom? Is it going out into you know nature with them? What do you do?
2: Sometimes it's it's me being invited to a government meeting. Okay. And at that government meeting, we're talking about climate change and carbon markets, and we're talking about mitigation of our greenhouse gas emissions and everybody's talking about like this is how you um, sell a carbon credit and my job in that room is to say you can't sell a carbon credit until you have someone who's managing the physical carbon stock of growing those mm-hmm. trees or protecting that seagrass right hmm so it has to come back to the wildlife and the, the, um, the local forestry agencies and stuff like that. So bringing those conversations where it might be a different arena of legislation, but making sure that people are considering the environment. Then on, at other times, um, a few weeks ago, uh, a, a person in the community found a snake that they thought was a rattlesnake but it turned out to be one of our Bahamian pygmy boas and so in that interaction I went to their house and I collected this snake and I educated that person one-on-one
0: okay Mm -hmm.
2: about what is this snake why is it in your yard right why do you have so many snakes because apparently her yard is, (laughs) is a place that snakes go to And so you're educating that one person, but then you see her reporting on her, her social media to everyone about the interaction that she had, which is you trying to make it a pleasant interaction. Yeah. And then that snake, because I had to go and pick up my kids. I have this snake with me. And so I'm like, well, I call the school and I'm like, hey, I'm going to have a snake with me. It's just a pygmy boa. It was only like as big as my hand, right? Oh, gosh. And I said, said, you know, can I show it to the kids? And so then um, you're interacting with kids. And I think those kids were 3 to 11 years old. And the teachers. (laughs) And so... uh, I'm out in, like, a little grassy area, kneeling down with all these kids around me and explaining to them, you know, what's a native species. Yes, snakes can bite because they have jaws, mm-hmm. but this one is so tiny that you are you can't fit inside its mouth. It's also not venomous. And what's the difference between venomous and poisonous? And it's a beautiful thing because now these kids have all this vocabulary and they're going back to their parents and and their friends who weren't there that day and it's this like it's this joyous experience that you're not just giving them facts but you're giving them an emotional connection which is a different type of teaching like teaching people to love something as Mm. opposed to teaching people about something absolutely and so well you guys are zoo people you all know what that's yeah. about right yeah definitely. Um, and so so that's really um that was really fun um and then sometimes i do um like just in, like engagements for like parties and stuff and the things that like i i have like three cockroaches with me And they're Larry, Mo, and Curly. (laughs) And and everyone's like grossed out by cockroaches, right? And we talk through it and we talk about like prejudice and like how people judge something on just how it looks. And Mm. that can also affect like how people interact with other people. But then these kids who are like totally like any cockroach is a bad cockroach, but these are our native cockroaches. And they're like, what? We have our own cockroaches? That's uh, so. It's like just like these crazy things, and then you have a bunch of parents call you like, "You put a cockroach in my kid's hand," and, and so it's it's just like sometimes you have like a ton of fun with it. Sometimes it can be a really serious conversation, but like education, I think is the biggest thing, and it comes in so many forms.
0: I'm so intrigued that you do it all. Like that's a big range. Yeah. Like sitting in a governmental policy meeting versus like showing children cockroaches and. That, like, you get to be a part of all of that. Is that your choice? Are you just, like, the go-to guy if there's a snake in someone's yard? Or, and I also, this is kind of a side note, but is there a reason she didn't want to leave the pygmy boa in her yard after you explained that it wasn't dangerous? And, or did you take it for research, or?
2: Well, um, the pygmy boa, it isn't super rare. Okay. Um, But generally, Bahamans have... uh, religious, superstitious relationship with snakes. Oh, okay. And so they include it includes things like the snake is the devil or that um, like snakes will go down your throat mm. or if you have a baby in the house like they'll go down the baby's throat. No. Um, like all these prejudices you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. And and then like the pygmy boa, um, God bless it. It's also called the shame snake. Aww. Um so <laughs> it's <laughs> And it gets stressed out. It, like, like coils and writhes and sticks its tongue out and, like, squeezes blood out of its eye. Wow. And then it has this tiny little tail that's, like, a little light-colored and it, like, shakes it a little bit like a rattlesnake. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. And so, like, yeah, like, people, like, freak out about it. Um, and so... People just, yeah, they don't, they don't want them around.
0: It sounds like an opossum here. Like they play dead. They act like that. People think they're so ugly, but they're so harmless and actually really good for the environment. there's all these, you know, just different thoughts about animals when they're And
2: so, so that's something that, um, uh, I enjoy doing. Yeah. And I, I think it comes, it comes out in a lot of my work that I, I like to be able to interact with the people and the environment. Um, and a lot of times it is my choice to do a lot of those things. Okay. Um, like I called up the school and asked them if I could show the kids yeah. that or um, on the weekends when I'm, I'm not clocked in, I'm still wearing my wildlife hat. I'm still like outside. Like I look like I'm going on a safari. <laughs> um, and and like, if someone talks to me for five minutes, I'm going to tell them about something about the environment, probably. So I, I think it's one of those things that you can't put down, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, when I go into a space, there's also that element of who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and that, for me, is also important in my communities. So when I... When I interact with the kids at my son's school, so Leo and Oliver, they're going to a Montessori-style school now. And they were at a Catholic school before. And there were days where I'd come onto campus and, like, all the snails are smushed. Mm. And my kids, like, they're sad about it because, like, everyone's stomping snails. Yeah. And so then... The kids that I see, I'm like, I'm like, hey, can you help me rescue these snails from the sidewalk? And some of them are like, ew, snails. And others are like, no, I'm going to crush them all. And then, like me and my sons are like taking snails and putting them in the bushes and stuff like that. And then some of their friends will come and join because mm-hmm. I'm a cool adult with a cool hat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm doing this. Or I rescued a bird out of one of the classrooms one day, and then that's just an opportunity to teach all the kids who were, like, gathered around, like, what's he doing? He's actually holding the bird. And, like, hey, it's a palm warbler. And it's only here for a while during the year, but it's going to leave soon. And it just got lost in the classroom. It's not going to hurt anybody. Um, and after a while, you start building up this, like, group of people that know you as that guy. Mm-hmm. Right? And the Bahamas, I love that our community is so small that they probably know someone that has my phone number. (laughs) Or or they can reach out to me on Facebook, right? And if I don't know the answer, I also have this great network. We have a network called Beings, Bahamians Educated in Natural and Geospatial Sciences. Wow. And I founded it back in like 2009 with 50 people. And now we have like 1,200 or something like that Amazing. In, in, faith, in our Facebook group. And then we have a WhatsApp group that includes like the core leaders in conservation in the Bahamas. And that's like 150 people now. Wow. And so between those groups, um, whenever my son comes and asks me like, hey, papi, what's that? And I'm like, you know... I can tell you that it's a lizard, it's an anolis, but I know someone who can tell me exactly what species Mm -hmm. it is, and if it's a male or a female. Um, Shannon Yates is pursuing her her education in the States now, but she's an amazing naturalist, and she knows a lot about reptiles and herps. Um, Scott Johnson is still in country. Um, He's working in the commercial side now, But everyone knows him as, like, the reptile guy, right? If if you want to know anything about reptiles in the Bahamas, he'd be one of your go-tos. But because our community is set up like that, I can WhatsApp them. I can give them a call. And also we check on each other, you know? It's not just, like, um, we're not just useful to one another but we're valued by one another mm. and that's a that's a that's a difference that i i want to make sure that our community feels and sometimes it's sometimes it's a little education interaction sometimes it's um a major policy discussion right but we get it done yeah, yeah. i love hearing these stories like
1: I I think that's kind of what makes a true educator, right, is someone who's able to take advantage of those traditional classroom kind of educational opportunities, but also those outside the classroom, makeshift, I found this snake in the lady's backyard, educational opportunities, and everything in between. That's really fascinating to hear. Um, I'm curious, though, I get the sense talking to you that um, kind of like the environmental impact is always on the minds of uh, the people of the Bahamas. Do you experience a lot of buy-in with your organization among the local people, or do you see some resistance as well? Because I'm sure on the opposite side, you've got business people who are saying, well, no, let's get some resorts here and let's make some money. Mm-hmm. But like we said, it's, it's really tricky to find that balance. So do you experience both sides of it?
2: Yes. And you always have to recognize that conservation doesn't happen in a vacuum. Environmental conservation is not actually about saving species or saving you know, a habitat. It's actually about saving people's relationship with that environment or that mm. species or that habitat. And when we go into a location, in the past, conservation has said we, as the conservationists, as the scientists, as the politicians, deem this to be worthy of protection. And this is how we're going to protect it. And these are the laws that we're going to make, and you're going to abide by those laws. Nowadays, when we go into a, a location, we can say, hey, this is really beautiful. What do you think about that? Right? What do you think about the Conception Island, Silver Boa, that's not found anywhere else in the world? that people will literally come here to try to steal this snake (laughs) from you. What do you think about the Bahama parrot, which, as it's a Bahamian species, uh, before we gained independence, they clear-cut the island so the birds had nowhere to live, and this population had that plasticity in their behavior so that they could change their culture imagine a population of pirates that changed their culture from, from tree-living birds to living in holes in the ground. Wow.
0: Will you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, <laughs> started interrupting. That's Will you tell me
2: more about these parents? Yeah. Wow, that's but, amazing. But that's how you get, you get that connection. Yeah. I see you I guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys are already bought in. You're, yeah. When you come to the Bahamas now, you're going to visit Abaco and see uh, the Bahama pirate. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. So in the 60s and 70s, As the Bahamas was discussing gaining independence from Britain, they started selling all the wood, all the hardwoods. Um, Universities like Harvard, some of their buildings are built with abaco pine. Wow. Right? And it's lasted all of this time. Wow. Um, When they cut down those trees, people knew that that was happening at the time, but the the West Indian woodpecker, they would make holes in the trees. Abaco parrots would then use those holes after the woodpeckers to live in those big trees. When they clear-cut the islands, those big trees were no more. They left what they called seed trees. Mm -hmm. So a small tree, a sapling, that's not big enough for Mm. any bird to live in. So that that could grow up and then make seeds again. We're coming up on 50 years of independence this year. So you can look back and see that those all those trees are about as old as our country, as our nation. Wow. Right? But you can hug these trees. Yeah. These are tiny trees. Right? Um, and those pirates, that tree, that... Um, pine forest the caribbean pine forest it's a fire managed ecosystem as well so the pine needles from those trees have to fall down and make that fuel mat so it can burn through clear out the vegetation um, leave smaller plants that will then grow up and in that time they will like have fruit and stuff like that Um, but when the fire burns through the ground is exposed we have lots of cavitation lots of sinkholes uh, limestone solution holes, and it seems that after all the trees were taken away the pirates didn't have nesting sites their population took a major dive Mm. and there's research that um started going on later on that that we've trying to figure out like how do we help the pirates what do we do Protection was the main thing, you know, protecting those trees and protecting that environment. But the pirates themselves, I guess they were just flying through the bush one day, and one pirate was like, "Hey, you know, normally we use holes in trees, (laughs) and and just hear me out, guys. Just hear me out. (laughs) What if we use one of those holes in the ground? And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure, like at first it was like a whole bunch of pirates, and one there's not enough holes." Right. And two, some of them are skeptical. I mean, like, like, hey, you know, we've been doing this courtship thing for a little while, <laughs> but I don't think you're really ready to be mature and find me a good tree. He's like, no, we, we can move into, you know, my little thing in the ground. Like, um, and so, so yeah, uh, they, they suffered for a while, but now it's the only Cuban Amazon pirate that nest in holes in the ground. Wow. I didn't right. know of
0: any parrots. Because that.
2: of their adaptability. That's incredible. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a type of intelligence. But now they're vulnerable to a different set oh, of factors, right? yeah. So now you're nesting in holes in the ground. And in the Bahamas, the cool thing, is we don't have, like, terrestrial native predators. I was just going to ask. But people have introduced dogs and cats. Yeah. Sure. Right? Yeah. Dogs tend not to go all the way down into the Abaco pine forest, um, but cats will go anywhere mm. and they can be really bad. Um, so a cat will be able to like climb down into some holes and still be have enough of a vertical to jump back out. Um, How deep are these holes that the
0: parrots are using?
2: If some of these holes you don't want to like stumble into wow. in, in the forest, right? Um, But a lot of them, they're like just narrow enough for a pirate to get down into. And it's like a straight shaft down with like a turn off, like somewhere in the middle. And so the pirates over time, they have to like learn how to choose a good hole in the ground. But that means that these pirates are like going in and out of this hole with nesting material or to feed their chicks. And um, like a cattle weight yeah yeah and now we have raccoons too wow coming down into the park and then you have like we have a fire season and a rainy season and so you have a lightning strike or something makes um a fire on the one hand all the underbrush is cleared so now you can see the holes great market for pirate real estate right you can see all these like cool um places the nest. But then if you get a heavy rain right after that or while your chicks are on the nest, um, that mud can go into the nest mm, yeah. and like choke out the, the kids. Yeah. So it's like all of these balances that we have to make as managers for that population. Do we allow the hunters to burn the forest? How much burning is good? How much is bad? We want pirates to be able to see enough um, uh, holes for them to nest in. We also want to give the habitat time to regenerate enough so that they have flowers or fruit for the pirates to eat. Right. Oh, then intriguing. we don't want it to be like all like ashy when the rains come for the holes to get flooded in with mud. Um, it's It's so intricate all of these different um, layers that that come into play. And then when the pirates finish nesting and they're raising their kids, they go into the neighboring communities and eat all the mangoes off the trees, right? <laughs> and so it's these, like, super interesting relationships that, that everyone has. And the, the mango trees, they're outside the national park, so you have to talk to the communities. Yeah. Um, and, like, all the people in the communities are like, those pirates wake me up every morning. <laughs> and they, they might be a little bit upset about it, but it's like they're, they're upset with, like, like, a child that's just a little bit rambunctious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a beautiful um, body of work that we have. But things like... I think the Mahama pirate is a key species to show how intricate and intimate some of those relationships between different parts of our human lives and the conservation work
0: can be. Yes, definitely. You always have to make sure that the people are still being taken care of and they want to help with conservation efforts for them, I feel like, to actually stay strong and for conservation efforts to work. Mm-hmm. The people have to be, they have to buy in also. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm really interested in these parrots and <laughs> I had a few questions. Do you know the numbers? How are they doing? Are they like endangered, critically endangered,
2: vulnerable? I want to say they're like 16,000. Okay. Yeah. But and, it's only the The Abaco part is only in the Southern end of Abaco Island. Okay. Um, where they, where they have their nesting grounds. And, Part of that habitat is under protection by the Bahamas National Trust in the Abaco National Park. But then part of the habitat that they use is um, in another part of pine forest that's owned by the government. So it's in the crown Mm -hmm. lands. Some of it has um, well fields, the Water and Sewage Corporation, they have well fields where they actually take, draw the water out of the ground, the freshwater lands in the ground so that they can process it and deliver it to people in the community. And those pine forests actually protect and maintain some of that water. And you have this, um, it's an interesting de facto conservation because the Water and Sewage Corporation, they don't really care about the forest above the ground, but they're not gonna allow anyone in there just like burning randomly or leaving pollution inside um, the well fields. And so that means that that area is protected. Mm. Um, But we need to have more discussions, I think, um, across the borders uh, or the boundaries of these agencies to have at least one person who's thinking about, hey, this particular well field has pirates living in it. What can we do for them? And I think that's, that's where a lot of my conversations are going these days. Okay. That's
1: fascinating. And I'm sure part of being an island chain, right, is the fact that on islands you have all these endemic species that are so unique. They're found nowhere else in the world. Obviously, this parrot is one of them. Do you have any other species that are really unique that you guys work with or focus your t- time and attention on?
2: <clears throat> yeah, so, so that endemism thing, it's spot on. We've had researchers in the past who've gone to one island and just the, the patches of mangroves on that one island, the lizards between them, because there's a different mix, they use like different areas of the trees, mm. right? Um, but then you have recently, we've had discoveries of a new plume moth, two new plume moth species, We've had the discovery of the Conception Island Silver Boa, which is around the world. There aren't a lot of boa species in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so having another new one in the Bahamas is super cool.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, we've had researchers discover a new hummingbird oh. in Inagua. And it was something like they're just like sitting down for a beer and, they, and one of them says, hey, that hummingbird sounds different. And then they do actual research and say and confirm why it sounds different with with morphometrics and stuff like that. Incredible! Oh my gosh! <laughs> right. um, so incredible. If for me, what I recognize is there's a, there's a lot of biases that we have in academia, and one of the key biases is that the people who've done it the longest are the smartest or the most knowledgeable about it the people who have the access to the knowledge they own it and um, they can decide where it goes from here mm. my favorite activity of disruption <laughs> is to put binoculars in a student's hand put a book in their other hand and put knowledge in their mind and. Knowledge to me isn't about um, this is what this species is and that species is important and it's, it's beautiful and it's conservation-worthy. The knowledge that I'm giving a student is, hey, this is how you can figure out what that species is. And if it isn't in this book, you can use these methods to see like what kind of thing it is and maybe it's something new. And I show them, look at this map. This is where everyone has looked for birds in the Bahamas. Is your neighborhood on that map? If it's not, you could be the first one. And so now, like, I have a bunch of kids who are using iNaturalist or eBird, and they're going out there, and they are becoming the bird watcher in their area. Um, we have a student, Aaliyah, who is part of our Bahamian birds and botany program last year Uh, this is a separate um, program that I ran uh, with Tenoya Thompson uh, through my Science and Perspective grant and we just wanted to get 10 Bahamian students and teach them about conservation leadership, connect them with other Bahamian science professionals and now she goes birding every Friday and so you can see her data in eBird and things like that, you can change the biodiversity record. Wow. Um, while working at Blue Lagoon Island, I found out that um, they, the island is, it has um, dolphins in captivity. And they have a major tourism operation on one end that is one of the leading excursions in the Bahamas. But the island was designated as an important bird area and the owners were never notified. Oh. So, there's a huge missed connection for conservation. And after I let them know about that, I said, you know what, while I'm working here, let me do bird surveys every, every time I come to the island. And I took the biodiversity record for that island. In 10 months, they had about 20 years of sporadic data collection. In ten months I took it from twenty-four species to seventy four species. Wow. Being able to triple the biodiversity record for an <laughs> island in less than a year, the only thing you need is people looking.
0: Mm.
2: And generally a foreign scientist is not gonna be in country for ten months. Right. Yeah. Right? And so so this this like shifting that um that knowledge generation, that story creation uh, is really important to me because for all the protection that we do, if we don't have Bahamians involved, we're going to lose a big part of the story. And with the way development, um, climate change, extinction rates are going, we're going to lose some of these species before we even know they're there. Mm. But now with You know, (laughs) a hundred foot soldiers, um, students, uh, you know, just like every school that you go to leave a bin of binoculars, right? Leave a stack of bird ID guides and natural history of the Bahamas field guides and let those students that are interested um, be able to access them anytime they want. You're going to start seeing all sorts of stuff pop up, right? And, and that's, what's going to really change the face of conservation and biodiversity in the, I think around the world.
0: I love that. I love the idea of just leaving these things and it's not like forced upon anyone and it'll, you know, still create so much knowledge and opportunity for those that are interested in it.
1: Yeah. It's like truly inspiring the youth and empowering them to get involved. You're putting the knowledge and the power in their hands instead of
2: the traditional sense. It's always kind of forced upon Mm -hmm. them. Right. Yeah, and we, um, we actually had National Parks Day, um, the weekend before last, um, on April 22nd, I think. Um, and we took all the students, uh, or we invited students to go into the national parks. We invited every Bahamian to go and join us in the national parks. Um, but I went to Forest Heights Academy on Abaco Island, and this island has been ravaged by Hurricane Dorian. So, a mm. lot of these students, um, they're just passing through their first year back on their island after being oh, displaced. Wow. Like, um, and like that thought of in my country, we actually have climate refugees already mm. in the next 40 to 50 years. I may be a climate refugee, right? So, you know, keep a space on your couch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. When I got into that classroom and the students saw me like with, just like whipping out a bunch of binoculars and stuff like that, and we taught them to use the binoculars, and I just said, hey, I'm going to invite you to go out with me and let's just look, let's just see what we see. And we actually only saw like two or three bird species. But we were looking at a bombardier beetle, a curly-tailed lizard, um, some grasshoppers, Um, I think some lizards were mating while we were out there talking about poison wood and all of these different interactions and each student, although they weren't all interested in the birds, they were interested in their Island. And that's a, that's a key difference. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as scientists, ecologists, conservationists, we may get hung up on big cat biology. Um, Invasive species management, natural resource coordination, um, water quality. But when we bring it back, it's like, we're really talking about our culture and our way of life. And the students that we interacted with that day at Forest Academy and then down in Crossing Rocks, they will tell you about their culture. They will tell you, like, in the evenings, I go out on the boat with my uncle or my cousins I go into the forest hunting um, my uncle or my Grammy always makes me bush tea for like if I have a cold or something like that so they want to know about the fish they see in the boat they want to know when they're out hunting which berries can they eat or should they not eat Right? Um, it's just so amazing how everyone like has what they feel is their Bahamian culture and just tying that into the environment is fun for me.
0: I can tell that, like, education is probably one of your favorite things. Would you say that's your favorite part about the job? Do you have a favorite part of your job? I mean, you've had so many jobs. Yeah, you I you feel think, so many roles, I feel like.
2: I think my favorite part is really... For me, it's being able to see something new. Or, like, just, like, spend time with An organism like and like seeing how it behaves but after a while you start a plateau on that right there's only so many new things that you can see Um, but then when you're sharing it with others you get to vicariously experience that through them again right
0: that makes total sense yeah and,
2: and that wow that a student gets and, man, if you get to, like, interact with kids and uh, zookeepers and stuff, I know that you guys get to see this. But there's, like, you get, get you, you so often get to see some student that, for the first time, they're seeing the four stalks on a snail's head, right? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, what? That's so crazy. And then you're like, yeah, only two of those are eyes. and And then, like, look, look, look. Look how pretty that eye is. And then like you change their world right because it was just a slimy thing that they would see from a distance they totally ignore and now you have them you have it on your finger and it's like right in front of their (laughs) face and they're they're like totally like in it it's it there's nothing nothing better than that
0: definitely that's awesome and
1: we're lucky enough here at the zoo to have get to experience that same thing you're referencing kind of like reimagining and re-going through it all vicariously through when we do keeper chats when we do tours and stuff like that it's always inspirational it's really cool that you're able to take these kids who are once smushing snails and then (laughs) get them to see a snail for what it really is that's awesome I do have one question for you obviously you're so great at inspiring the youth and getting people involved would you have any like advice for a young person who's trying to become a conservationist, or wants to be a field biologist, or wants to just get involved in the wildlife field to make a difference, what advice would you have for them?
2: I'd, I'd definitely tell them to learn how to read and consume the, the knowledge and information that's out there. Uh, that's always going to be important, um, but also never to limit themselves. I tell all of my Bahamian students, listen, if you're interested in anything that's going to make you better, that's going to make your community better, there's someone that's going to help you. And if you can't find that person, you can reach out to me. And I think at the same time as I give those students that advice, like reach out. There's someone out there. Um, Go to your local zoo, your local garden. There's someone there that's they're dying to tell you (laughs) about (laughs) everything about the species that you love, right? Um, But at the same time, I want all the adults that are listening to know that a child's world is infinite, right? It's the choices that we cut away from them that limits them and narrows them into Mm -hmm. their final path. So when they come out into the world They can be or do anything, you know, and it's just giving them those opportunities. And it's as important for the students and for the adults to let them experience everything because sometimes it's as important to know what you don't want to do as it is to like know exactly what you want to do. So let them experience it, you know. I used to want to be a veterinarian. I work at the Humane Society and I'm not big on like, you have to put down animals sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Or um, some, some of the things that you see at the Humane Society is just horrible, um, but there's a space for that. There's mm-hmm. someone that needs to do that. Now I can go and I can save a whole population one time without necessarily having to be that intimate with the pain and the, mm-hmm. the suffering. Um, and you know, there, there's spaces for that, but there are some students who, who would be great at that. And I want them all to experience those opportunities and, and try, you know,
0: I love that advice so much, just like on a much smaller level, like we say, do internships here and you learn certain animals that, you know, you might not have thought you would love, but you got to work alongside a zookeeper and realize mm-hmm. that you actually do love you know, giraffe, when you thought you only wanted to work with tigers or something, like, there's so much yeah. that you can learn or you recognize, like, for me, I learned that I don't want to work with primates. Like, that is not yeah. my thing. But I, obviously, there are people out there yeah. that they love it. Um, right. And I do think just having the experiences, even if it's not to find what you love, but to figure out what you don't want to do is yeah. very helpful. And,
2: and having conversations, like, now, after our conversation, mm-hmm. you know that you have to meet a Bahama parrot. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, and these types of things, like, I... I, I imagine that you guys must love this, like, interaction, like getting to talk to new people mm-hmm. about their experiences and and just seeing that different perspective is, is really cool. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I always say this, but when we talk to, I, it's never the right term, but I always say a real conservationist, somebody who is, like, out in nature, making changes, that sort of thing. I mean, because a lot of people argue, like, Mark and I as zookeepers, could be labeled as conservationists because we're educating and we're yeah. trying and we do different things, you know. But like for me, I still I can talk to so many of you that are amazing and doing so much work in the field and I still am like how do they get to where they are? And I heard you tell us, but like <laughs> also it's just like one of those things where you don't even know these jobs exist. And like the things that you're doing, you know, you're a senior scientist and yeah. an analyst and you're working with all of these from governmental to students, mm-hmm. and it's just like, how do you get to that point? But it's basically, mm-hmm. it sounds like you did just about anything and everything that involved yeah.
2: animals. But also, I think, um, and this is important, for those who are listening into the podcast, I am a black guy, right? Um, and some people don't recognize that. I'm Dr. Anselino Davis, and people read my name, and I get um, in the Spanish-speaking community, they... They call me Anciyeno, right? And they, because reading and seeing someone's name, that's different. Mm -hmm. When I go into a classroom and the students see me speaking with the Bahamian dialect that we speak, that we speak in the Bahamas, or they see me looking like them, or... Behaving in the way they would behave when I'm hailing their teacher or, um, you know, their uncle and stuff like that. And they recognize me from the food store or from some other thing that I did. Um, That representation, that's also super important. Mm -hmm. So me being able to say, hey, I'm a Bahamian and I'm doing this. I didn't have that when I was younger. But I had those, those, the people who were working in the botanical gardens who would tell me about those stuff. Um, one of my um, mentors when I was young was Dr. Jeffrey Lynn, And he's from Jamaica, but he lived in the Bahamas uh, for a long time. Um, and he, he really got me into science uh, at the beginning. He was the senior veterinarian for the Ministry of Agriculture. My mom was a secretary in that ministry, but she would, because I would always be with her like at work and stuff, like she would introduce me to different people and um, each and every one of them were so excited to see a kid that's interested. And you know they would tell me, like they'd answer all of my questions. And it's, it's just um, having people around that make that space, and at the zoo, you guys do it in one way. Um, I just, I kind of try to make my life be about making that access for other kids. Uh, it sounds like uh, you're doing that. That are like me. And, and it's, it's also fun for me. So I do get a little bit of selfish enjoyment. <laughs> <out> of <it. laughs> that's, okay. Um, <laughs> that's okay. But, it, but it's, it's, I think that's what we need more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, people that um, fertilize dreams. Right.
0: Definitely. So, I mean, you've, you've talked about it, and there have been wonderful people in your life, including your mom, that have helped you, like, learn that these are things that you can do and anyone can do, no matter what you look like. But what, like, did you just decide kind of on your own also that you were going to try this, even though, you know, you don't know tons of people that look like you that do the same thing, or do you know what I mean? Like,
2: you know, you know I... <clears throat> I knew that I wanted to work in the environment, but then, um, like, well, or I wanted to work with, with, um, animals mm-hmm. and nature, but on TV, I just saw like, like Bill Nye,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, David Attenborough, Dr. David Suzuki, and, um, Steve Irwin, mm-hmm. Crocodile Hunter, right? And none of them looked like me, mm-hmm. and... In the Bahamas, the the thought was like, that's white people stuff, right?
0: So even that's, even I, growing up, like I, there weren't a ton of Bahamians that would get into this stuff and help with conservation. There were no. people coming from other countries,
2: right? And honestly, okay. for for a lot of Bahamians now, I'm seen as like one of the first ones.
0: Wow. Okay. And so
2: like like being in that position sometimes is is very nerve wracking, but then also. Um, I had times where I was at um, university and a professor um, told me that he would get his next degree before I got my first one. Wow. And this was an older white male. Then I have um, uh, mentors from the Forest Service who, like, Helped to support the Kirtland's Warbler Research and Training Program, where they taught us Bahamian students how to do science and brought us up to the U.S. And they they like showed us like this is how you do like bird surveys and stuff. And I'm like I'm like in it. I'm like dressed up in like fire gear in the forest, and I'm standing next to Smoky Bear, <laughs> and it's like you're like is this my life now? Um, and then I had a like, after I had already, like, started the Bahamas' first coral nurseries, I had founded Beings, I was on the board of directors for Birds Caribbean, um, but during my PhD, a professor told me that I was seen as unsuccessful.
0: Wow, I'm thinking, and what haven't you done? Alice, that is <laughs>
2: unbelievable. And, and their measures are different. Okay. Right? And so, no, I wasn't publishing a bunch of papers. Mm. Um, I, I my grades were, like, top-notch. Um, but I was also representing graduate students and international graduate students on the Graduate Student Council. And because my measure of success is supporting my community and making the world a better place, um, instead of just knowing more about the world, um, I was not seen as successful.
0: Wow, that's such a shame. Right?
2: But then... Now, it's like, if anyone comes to one of my students with that type of mentality, I'm going to shut it down, Yeah. right? Mm. Um, And it's not even about being antagonistic about it, but it's letting all Bahamians and other people that look like me or may not have as many opportunities, even as I had, and... Like shout out to mummy again. Like, like my face, I look a lot like my mom, and <laughs> it's like my passport to opportunity. So, so when I, you
0: talk about her, you light up. Like I can't yeah, help I but giggle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I my son loves me that much. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so like 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 in the Bahamas, people are like, oh, you miss Davis, son, eh? Yeah. And so so like I recognize that like those opportunities and stuff are really important, and when I meet a student that has that interest in the environment um i'll send a shout out to david dean now too he's one of my students and um when i first met him he was growing plants for the hundred thousand tree planting initiative wow. and he admitted that he wasn't focused in high school but he wanted to do what i did and it was COVID and I was on a hustle, you know, doing environmental impact assessments and stuff, traveling around the islands. And I was like, you know what? Show up on time. Um, be respectful when I introduce you to people. Um, and take these binoculars, take this bird book and start entering some eBird data. And this guy, he, he's like just skyrocketed. from there and now like I stopped doing the EIAs but other people would hire him to go and do the bird um, lists for different places and stuff like that and and like the last year and a half he's visited like more Bahamian Islands than I had visited at that um, point in my life he's um, gone on to to go into um, the College of the Bahamas the University of the Bahamas and so he's getting his um, his education and stuff and it's sometimes we don't have those opportunities but like i said like every person that you meet when they're born they have like infinite potential Mm -hmm. and we're just like whittling that away um with you know negativity and stuff like that and so i try to protect like the students and my younger colleagues as much as I i can i possibly can from those things um and that's what I I would wish that everyone who's in our beings network for example would be doing that same thing and that's a lot of um where I am now I think I think I'm sometimes I'm a conservationist of the natural environment but mostly I'm a conservationist of um that human inspiration in our younger generation
0: yeah. I think you're fascinating and wonderful <laughs> so that's amazing yeah. yes Oh my gosh well, is there anything else you want to talk about before we kind of wrap up? I know we've asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything you like, haven't shared about your job or the, any advice you want to share before we?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think definitely uh, from the Bahamas National Trust, I want people to know that the Bahamas National Trust, we do also have the Bahamas National Trust Foundation, which is 501c3 registered in the United States. Okay. So if you are interested in contributing to the work that, that we do, um, you can reach out and uh, make your donations there um, also when you visit any country um, seek us out right seek out that that local organization that's doing the conservation work oh, I love uh, you may be able to volunteer um, record-keeping time um, answering the phones or something if you even if you can't do like the hard physical stuff Mm -hmm. but maybe we want someone to do some mangrove planting maybe we want you to help um uh, put in some buoys in the marine parks um these are things that um can help us but also like um unrestricted donations but if you're passionate about the abaco parrot you you can make a specific donation to that abaco parrot or abaco national park monitoring work okay um And then, yeah, I want to talk about poop.
0: Oh, Uh, yeah, Yeah. So
2: so worldwide, I think uh, it's an issue that we don't think about our waste enough. And in an island country like the Bahamas, we have cruise ships that come through, tourists that come through, and we need to think about where your waste is going. Um, Even in your own community, in your schools, you can think about talking to your students about where does the water go when they flush it? Is it a septic tank, a soak away system? Is it a sewage system that takes it to another town, another um, state even? Um, who's responsible for the waste that you generate? If you're visiting us in our country, what are you bringing with you? And what are you leaving in our country? We have a limited amount of area or landmass. Um, our oceans are tied to our survival. So, is your cruise line, is your um, hotel contributing to that or helping to mitigate that in some way? And uh, that's always important.
0: So, something, so the what can I do there is kind of researching and figuring out if you're supporting the best option of tourism for example if you're going on a cruise there are certain ones that you would suggest or people can look into that will be the most supportive of the countries you're visiting
2: exactly okay and and so just just knowing more about your impact Mm -hmm. that's the that's the absolute minimum that anyone can do is know where your resources are coming from and know where your waste is going and i think if we can change the way people poop we can change the world Uh, that's that's always um it's always a fun conversation to have but um i guarantee you that most of your listeners probably don't know where their where their yesterday's poop is right now i
1: have no idea where
0: yesterday's poop is
1: that's such a fascinating way to boil it down (coughs) to the simplest form too right like Mm -hmm. conservation it's got so much large messaging behind it and it can be such an abstract idea but at the end of the day it's so simple, know where your resources are coming from and know where your waste is going, and right. It's such an easy way to boil it down. I love that and, yeah. and
0: the impact that they're having.: Yeah. yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank you yeah. so Thank much you so for much. being here.
0: Sorry, I have one final question.: Let's Do you go. have a favorite animal from the Bahamas, mm. a native species?
2: Oh Like I've worked with some really cool species. Um, Like, I've held hummingbirds in my hand. I can't believe that. Um, There's a a male nurse shark in Compass Key that kissed me on the mouth for no reason. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I've seen dolphins in the wild. Um, Like, just scuba diving and stuff. But, like, favorite, favorite animal? There's a lizard that comes inside our back door like just about every day. Like, <laughs> like as an as an individual. See so you a favorite that, individual. That, I love yeah, it. Yeah, that lizard <laughs> and my wife Alma named him Freddy. So Freddy. Like, yeah. So like he comes he comes in the back and he like he like eat like whatever bugs are there. So like <laughs> but for now I think he's he's one of my um favorite individual animals. Do so you
0: know what like species of lizard he is? He's
2: a anolus sagre. Okay. Yeah. So um he's yeah, he's just just there. Uh, actually, Freddie is a uh, female, I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah, she comes in and in and out of the back door. Um, then, ironically, the great lizard cuckoo, which would eat Freddie. <laughs> if, if the great lizard cuckoo saw Freddie, Freddie would probably get. It's uh, a great lizard
0: got, cuckoo, a bird.
2: It is okay. a bird.
0: and how big is it? What is it? Why it's, is it your favorite?
2: I mean, they're just. It's like, it's like a, it's like Jurassic Park, like bird style. Okay. Um, it has a, like a really long tail. I'm have to look it up. I think it's like maybe two foot long or something. like Wow. That, wow the, okay. The whole bird, and they just they have this like like long like sound that they're making in the bush, and then when you see them. They're doing that Velociraptor run where their oh. wings are tucked in, but their heads are like bobbing to the side and they're like <laughs> running through the forest like, and just like killing things. Man. <laughs> yeah, they're, so they're, they're, they're pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that or the um, American Oyster Catcher. Oh, okay. Cool. Cause, yeah, because it just looks like a kid drew a bird. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like like oh, I have a black crayon and a red crayon, and let me draw a bird. <laughs> yeah, and so they they just like look weird. Um, so I think those. Yeah, um, it's just so hard to. Well, you pick. made me fall in, in
0: love with the albaco parrot. So I was wondering if you really <laughs> loved it too, or if you just made me fall in love with
2: it. Yeah, and and sometimes you can be really connected to something mm. um, that. And, you know, there's, there's a very pragmatic connection that you might have. Um, some people are connected to the wild pigs that are invasive species, but they're hunted, they're eaten. Um, and that's a, that's a very intimate connection, but they don't see that as a form of love.
0: Oh, yeah, right? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the
2: Abaco pirate, I spent a lot of time in the bush looking for those pirate nests, and um, so I'm very intimately connected with them and their habitat and stuff like that. But then at the end of the day, like I, when I when I think about if I could see a an animal today um, in the bush, I don't know. I, I think I'm I'm looking for a of cuckoo. great lizard <laughs> <laughs> cuckoo. Yeah.
0: I love, that's a great way to answer it that's too. Awesome. And we heard that you want to see giraffe here.
2: I do. Yes. Okay. I do want to see a giraffe. We'll make that happen. And it's it's partly because I I really like puns and dad jokes. <laughs> 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 so, so it's cool because the way to greet a giraffe is hi. And There you go. I'm that's gonna steal that <laughs> <it> for any, <laughs> yeah.
1: any tours we do in the future. That's awesome. Well, yeah. cool. so, oh, man, shout out to Freddie. I liked hearing about Freddie. Mm. Uh, Dr. Davis, you're obviously very inspirational. Your story is incredible. You fought through a lot of adversity to get where you are today, and you've motivated countless people. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast would love to follow you. Can you tell people how they can keep track of you, whether your your social social media, media. your podcast feed, however they can follow you?
2: So definitely, if you can spell my name, You can find me, (laughs) Um, Dr. Anselino Davis. And then on social media, I use the Science and Perspective brand. And that's SCI Perspective, um, Sci-Perspective on most social media. Okay. Um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Um, And then on YouTube, I have Science and Perspective with Dr. Anselino Davis. Great. And I believe... um, everyone can use more science, but we all need more perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for my, and that, that's like, if you're just like following me for like the weird stories and stuff. Uh, if you want to follow the Bahamas National Trust, look for BNT Bahamas. Okay. And the Bahamas National Trust has content related to what we're doing in our national parks in the Bahamas. We have great educational content. So if people want to look up Zuma we have a a little cartoon Bahamian girl who's um, teaching you about the environment and our native species and stuff like that okay voiced by a Bahamian um and like that's that's like awesome content for youth Uh, and then we have all of our national parks are on the website so when you're planning your visit and you want to go to see a an Abaco pirate, or you want to see the flamingos in Inagua, or you want to see the um, a huge collection of palms from around the world, we have the Retreat Gardens National Park. You want to see the biggest trees in the Bahamas, go to primeval Forest. And if you want to snorkel with like just random turtles and yes, baby sharks all the above yeah <laughs> bonefish ponds national park right and so we have a little something for everyone you might have to do some island hopping but it's there um we also have a little hidden gem uh with the highest concentration of seahorses in the world <gasps> wow, wow. seahorses dude that, yeah. i love
0: seeing seahorses at aquariums i can't
2: imagine seeing one yeah. in the wild and it was like I think we were there for like thirty minutes and I saw like nineteen. Oh my gosh. Yes, and they're just like all over the place, like just sleeping in the in the in the algae and stuff. Wow. We we successfully added another place to our bucket list. Yeah, oh my gosh. So many yeah. places to go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's
0: a secret gem. You didn't say the name. Do you want to say the name or should we keep it secret? I totally get if you yeah, want to keep yeah, it secret. It's, it's, you have to do your research. Yeah,
2: it's a little it's a little special place. <laughs> okay. Um you guys uh you, you guys have the in the inroads though uh, okay. yeah, just give, me, give, me, give me a shout when yeah. you get down there and, and really like anyone um, who comes down to visit the Bahamas let us know um, reach out to us say okay. hey Bahamas National Trust uh, we're coming to visit the Bahamas and we want to see all the parks yes. right yeah okay. and that's that's um I think I'd love to have you guys down um, and also for you to share like what we're doing down there um, in person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a really special opportunity. Um, and also to support the work that that we're doing, and not just the Bahamas National Trust, but we have amazing partners throughout the country, um, friends of the environment who are recovering after Hurricane Dorian um, on the island of Abaco. We have Water Keepers Bahamas who they're looking out for all of our waterways so that the water is swimmable drinkable fishable we have brief who they're teaching bahamian in-service teachers how to snorkel and identify fish wow. and, and about the marine environment and getting bahamians into the water so we're not just Mm -hmm. on the surface in a boat Mm -hmm. but we're underneath and and it's just like we have a powerful community it sounds Um, like it but yeah and i'm happy to put you guys in touch with don't you worry when i find the time i'm gonna be be bothering you absolutely Uh, most definitely (laughs) i'm looking forward to it
0: Great. Well, thank That's you again so much for all of your time. We hope you have a good time here in this crummy weather right now while we're recording. It's actually pretty cold, but <laughs> when this comes out, hopefully it's nice out. But thank you again for all of your time yeah. and everything that you're doing for the world. It's it's incredible for people and thank nature. So
2: <laughs> yeah, I hope to see you guys at the Barrow's lecture. Yes, yeah. I
0: hope to make it.
2: Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. You guys got a little bit of a teaser or yeah. a little taste here. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I'm going to talk more about the relationships that, that cause these things to happen and how we support other people um, like me to stay in conservation. Okay, awesome. wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you again
1: for your time today. All you listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode. Go follow Dr. Anselino Davis on social media. Go look up uh, Bahamas National Trust. Do some research on them. They do some amazing work. So thanks to everyone for listening. Until next time. Have a
0: great day.